Ah, all right. Good morning. We're really glad to really, I'm going to try to hold this in the proper place. We'll see how that goes. We're really glad that you guys are here. We're really glad to be here with you. We're going to jump right in just for time's sake. And uh, if you need a pen later or you need a notes or whatever, there's stuff over there. And let's get started. Uh, my name is Ben Montgomery, and this is my wife, Lori Montgomery. And we're going to be sort of handing the mic back and forth as we go. Before we get started, we want to say a big, 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 big thank you to lots of people who have helped us as parents. You know, we'll, we'll talk more about how we're, our kids are still young and we're not quite there yet. Uh, we're not at all there yet in terms of how they decide to live their lives, but we're, we're working on things and we've learned so many things from so many different people and we're really grateful. And this is, we're excited to just share some things that have been shared with us this morning. So we want to say thanks to our parents. First of all, they've modeled patience kindness, generosity, grace, wisdom, so much, much more than that for us for so many years. And they're, they've given us the foundation that now we're trying to build on. And we want to thank uh, lots of other folks as well. Neil and Melinda Walker, Jeep and Kate Underwood, Mark and Stacey Klepsik, uh, Randy and Cindy Lanthrop, Alex and Sam Barrett, Harold and Deborah Bullock. Uh, we've learned so much from Nathan Lewis's seminars over the years and from so many other parents that we've gotten to rub shoulders with here and in other circles where we've gotten to meet people and talk about parenting. So big thanks. And honestly, what it comes down to is we try to steal all the best ideas. So I'm sorry. And thank you to one and all. We've also found some books that are really helpful. So there's a list there at the end. Um, feel free to ask about those books if you'd like. Uh, that's just a resource, a list of resources that we've found helpful. Side note, uh, we approached this talk from the perspective that, that we've experienced, which is a dad and a mom parenting together. Uh, but if that's not your experience, we get that. If you're a single parent, you're proving yourself to be twice as strong. And we really admire that. And we hope that today, that this time could be an encouragement to you. And if you don't have kids, we hope this is still helpful perspective. Again, that it's an encouragement. You know, as a church, we have a lot of opportunities to come alongside one another. And hopefully, we can each play a part in building up the next generation, just as the years go by, as God gives us kids, or as we work with the kids around us. So we just wanted to recognize that not everybody here is a parent, and um, we hope it's helpful for everyone, though. Now, Lori and I have been married for 13 years. We've been a part of Church in the Valley for longer than that. And we have five children, but four boys, ages, why am I looking at my notes for the ages? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> ages 10, 5 two, and four months for the boys, and we have an eight-year-old girl. And so we really do feel like we are in the trenches. And I was, I was making myself giggle, imagining this scenario. It's, it's a World War I scenario. There, Lori and I are. We're huddled back-to-back -back in the trench, just waiting for the onslaught. And then we hear a voice through an old-timey sort of megaphone thing. We will destroy you. <laughs> that sort of thing. Surrender now. We will never surrender. Is that a Prussian accent? I don't know. It's terrible. But there, it's coming. It's coming. And so we really do feel like, what are we doing here? And if you go back and you look at the World War I experience, of course, it's nothing like standing here talking about parenting. However, there was that feeling like, are we making progress? Are we going anywhere? Like, why, why are we here? Did we sign up for this? And so here we are. But now let me paint you a totally different picture. Okay? In, this, in his letter to the Philippians, 
The Apostle Paul writes about the kind of people that he hopes the Philippians will become. Okay, he wrote this to adults, but it applies also to our children, who we all hope will be godly people. So Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he writes, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's a picture of what God wants for us. God wants us and our children to live lives of love and to grow in understanding so that we can choose what's best. He wants us to become pure and blameless like his son Jesus. He wants us to be filled with the results, the fruits of righteousness, and to show the world how good he is. And we get to go after this day after day. And as parents, we get to guide our children toward this lifelong pursuit as well. What a privilege. We all long for our kids to have great lives, right? We want them to experience deep joy and peace and to thrive wherever God leads them. The question is, how can we help with that? What's a win that we can work toward? Now, for us, Lori and I, our goal as parents is to help our kids grow to love God and to love people. And we also want our family to be a team where we work together toward common goals and build each other up. We want our kids to be like each other, not to be like each other, they're each different. We want our kids to like each other and to cheer each other on. And hopefully, over time, this will help them develop empathy and genuine compassion for the other people in their lives. And then there's other destination goals, as Harold Bullock calls them, that we're working on as well. Um, God wants us to learn to obey well and lead well, to forgive, to give, to live honestly, to choose humility, to help, to learn, to use self-control. Ah, this is, this is going to take longer than I, than I thought. Now, this is a good time to point out that parenting is a marathon, not a sprint. If you're a parent, you know that, right? It's exhausting, right? It takes a long time. It takes a lot of endurance, and the results don't show up right away. Even if we have a clear destination in mind, I want to be there. I want my kids to be there. Will we actually get there? Will they get there? We don't know. As I mentioned before, our kids are still young, and we don't know yet what kind of choices they'll make in the future. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I realized all the dumbest, all the worst, most harmful decisions I made, they were after I was older than my oldest child. So in a sense, maybe everything is still coming, right? We may be in for a wild ride, or two, or five, right? So we're going to try our best to raise them to make wise choices, but we don't want to presume that we've got a foolproof plan or that we can control the outcome for any of them. There's so many things we can do to help our kids live well. We're going to share some things we're trying, but in the end, they're going to have to make their own choices. So with that, I'm going to hand the mic over to my beautiful bride, here she is. Hi, good morning. So to give you an idea of where we're headed in this talk, we're going to start with four key principles to keep at the forefront of our minds as we parent, and then we'll talk about several strategies and a handful of key tactics that we've been using to try to put those principles into practice. Um, nothing that we share today is groundbreaking or earth-shattering, and like Ben said, it's not even original to our family. But all we want to do today is encourage you from alongside you and then to remind us all about the big picture. So let's get started. The first principle is love is patient, love is kind. And this is from 1 Corinthians 13, 4, part of the love chapter. We have the verses down on your handout if you want to look at them. 
It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. So this is one of those simple but not easy principles, right? We all know these words, and yet we have to work like crazy to choose them over and over and over again. Um, Ever since I became a mom, I've been realizing more and more just how impatient I am. Um, I have things that I want to get done. I have a way that I want them done, which is basically quickly, efficiently, and with the least amount of mess possible. But um, as you can guess, or as you've experienced, all of that goes out the window the minute you have kids, right? Every single thing now takes patience. Um, Sometimes just getting out the door, even if we're not on a strict timeline, is a stretch. It's like, go get your shoes, put on your socks, where's your pants like we wear your pants um we, did you eat breakfast no go to toast a waffle okay where are your shoes wait I already told you to put your socks on go to the potty go to the potty again now everybody needs their water bottles and it's just a mess it's chaos so all by by that time all I want to do is scream just get in the car now <laughs> anybody with me <laughs> But instead, love tells me, take a deep breath, slow it down, control your words. How can I help them? They're just learning. And if they aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, to some extent, I need to evaluate the way that I'm training them, right? So not only do we need to choose patience over and over again, we want to choose, we want to teach our kids to choose it. The first step is that they see us consistently choosing it. And then we also explain it out loud. We explain it over and over and over again until it gets ingrained in their little minds and makes its way into their hearts. And so we say, you need to choose to be patient and kind. You need to choose to be patient and kind. And then we explain exactly what that means for their specific situation. For example, this kid is pushing this kid's buttons. Not that it ever happens. (laughs) But to this kid, we say... Being patient means you don't make a big deal about it. You choose not to let it be a big deal. And to the other kid, we say, being kind is choosing not to do the things that you know the other person doesn't like, even if it shouldn't be a big deal. So that's the first principle. Um, Love is patient. Love is kind. The second principle is truthing in love. Speaking truth in an atmosphere of love. If you're anything like me, it's not the truthing part that's really hard to do consistently. It's creating and nurturing an atmosphere of love. We want to train our children to have a realistic perspective of how the world works. Um, Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 talks about this. And that says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every word of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So how do we do that? Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, teaches us a very practical way to train our children. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. So we constantly teach as we go about our day. 
kind of like a narration of life as it happens, but thoughtfully processed through the filter of scripture. Our goal is to help our children to understand through repeated explanation and experiences how biblical principles really work in real life, because they do, right? So the other day, the kids and I walked in on a really tense situation at the post office where we were out running errands. There's this man standing at the counter, and he was so angry. He was yelling, he was screaming, he was making angry noises, making angry gestures. He was screaming about how nobody was helping him. So um, the poor workers behind the counter were just quietly working. All the customers in line were just standing quietly. And then his poor wife was standing next to him looking so embarrassed. So it was really awkward. We had to squeeze past him to get to the self-service kiosk on the other side. Me, my stroller, our whole line of kids. <laughs> it was terrible. But you know we had a good conversation as we drove home right after that. Um, it's a life lesson as it's happening. It's one thing to tell your children that having a fit doesn't get you what you want. And actually, um, throwing tantrums only makes life harder for you and everyone around you. And it, it's a whole other level when you see it played out in real life. So we constantly teach truth as we go about our days. We also want to lovingly deal with real issues. We don't want to sugarcoat or worse, ignore any poisons that are going to ultimately destroy our kids' lives. Things like rebelliousness, deceit, selfishness, arrogance. We want to name these things and call it what, call it, what it is and talk about what happens as a consequence if they act that way. In our experience, rebellion begins early in life. We've seen our children, in our children as early as about nine months, um, starting to act rebellious. So we explain things to them like, when you choose to disobey, you're being rebellious. Rebels aren't happy. They have hard lives. We want you and we're teaching you to have a good life. So it's important that you learn to obey. This particular explanation comes from Harold Bullock and we've used it countless times. Um, or when a child doesn't wanna share, um, sometimes the easiest thing is just to command obedience, right? And say, go ahead, share your toy. Give it, give it to your sister or share it with your brother. But in order to deal with the real heart issue, we say, when you're selfish, people don't want to be around you. And that's sad. I want you to have friends. I know you want to have friends. So instead of doing what you're doing, how can you choose to be kind? So, Talking through daily life, it's not complicated, right? But it does take time and intentional effort, and it can be downright exhausting. But as we choose to make that investment over time, we can help our kids to develop a biblical perspective and a wisdom, which is an understanding of how life works. Um, another aspect of truthing to love, truthing in love, is a willingness to be biblical, even if it's countercultural. We can all think of multiple hot topics in the news right now. And in every single part of life, we're constantly rolling against the tide of culture as we try to walk with God. And our goal isn't to completely shield our kids from all of that. That would be completely impossible if we want to actually live in the world. They're going to absorb lessons left and right with anti-biblical themes seeping in from every angle. What our goal is, is to help them develop a habit of filtering messages through the truth of Scripture. So um, that's the second principle, truthing in love. Uh, the third key principle about parenting is we are training our kids whether we realize it or not. I will be the first to admit that I've unintentionally trained our kids in a lot of ways that aren't good. There's not 
many things more humbling than when one kid gets frustrated or irritated at another and they snap at them harshly. And in their voice, I can clearly hear my own. <laughs> That's just yucky. You know what I'm talking about? So, so much of training is caught, not taught. Um, and training hours in the home are 24-7, for better or for worse. And then that brings us to the fourth key principle, which is parenting has to be proactive. Um, a lot of you know that in my past life, before my current profession as a stay-at-home mom, I worked as a physical therapist, so I often still think in metaphors relating to physiology and exercise. So here's something. When we exercise, it takes about 12 weeks of training, uh, really hard exercise, pushing ourselves beyond our comfortable limits to actually gain and retain a new level of strength in our muscles, right? And then it only takes two weeks to lose that when we stop exercising. So not fair, right? <laughs> Well, we can think of parenting in the same way. It's an uphill battle, and we need to be intentional and diligent because atrophy means a loss of so much more than just muscle mass in that case for both ours and our kids' lives. Um, I'm going to hand this over to Ben to talk about some of the strategies. Well, one thing I want to add to what Lori was just saying is uh, dad's we really need to set the pace in being proactive. In order to give our families the encouragement and the leadership that they need, we have to choose to take responsibility for training our kids. It's our responsibility, and we team together with our wives to do it. Even if we get less time with our kids, we have to make the effort to think long-term. We have to make the effort to set the right direction for our kids, and we have to make the effort to be as much a part of their training as we can be. Any questions, let's talk. All right. For all parents, first and foremost, we relate personally to God as our Father and our King. We obey Him, we learn from Him, and we learn to love and obey Him. And then we model this for our kids and teach them how to follow our example as we follow Christ. We didn't list that as a principle or a strategy, but that's the basis of everything that's going to actually lead to success in parenting. And so with this as the foundation for everything else, let's go ahead and talk about some strategies that we found helpful. Number one, Get on the same page, okay? Take the time to talk through your parenting goals, your concerns, and your basic approach to loving and disciplining your kids. This can be hard. You've got parents. You had an experience with your family growing up, and for you, that's normal. Your spouse or your partner has a different set of experiences, and they probably think those are normal. You bring them to the table, and without talking about them, you're both trying to do different things probably. It's just the way it goes. So it's hard to talk through it because it might lead to conflict, but it is so totally worth it. Here's what happens. When you both know that you won't be undermined by the other due to conflicting goals or values, you just have a much more healthy confidence as you work with your kids. You just don't have to wonder when I'm disciplining so-and-so or talking through something with so-and-so. I know Lori has my back. Even if she doesn't agree with every single detail, she's got my back. So... Once you're able to agree on key areas of family life, the next step is to back each other up. At our house, we try really hard to make it clear that mom and dad are a team. The kids will almost always get the same answer from both of us, right? A lot of times I'll just say, did you ask mom yet, right? Because if they did, then the answer is whatever mom said. And I don't even have to think about it, right? Because we're a team. 
And it's much more important that we communicate that over and over again than that we get into the weeds on some details that she and I might have different perspectives on. Okay? They asked me for something. Yeah, Mom already told you. Over time, for our kids, there's less temptation to try to be sneaky by asking the other parent in order to get a different answer, right? That's a normal thing for kids, right? The more that doesn't work, the less they're going to do it. And we don't want to train our kids, even inadvertently, to be sneaky, right? Generally speaking, again, we try to defer to each other and we try to strengthen the team rather than get into the details about a particular incident. Maybe Lori answered first and I would have said something different. Maybe I answered first, she would have said something different. But it's not a deal breaker. We defer in order to build the team. The other great thing about this is that since we trust each other to represent the team, so to speak, we can leave discipline to whichever one initiated, whichever one first dealing with the problem. We try not to double team our kids too much, right? Because we don't want, we want to correct them, train them, but we don't want to crush their spirits. So if somebody's having a fit and I go over there and start dealing with them, it's probably not helpful for Lori to come in and say the same things, right? But because we can trust each other, we don't have to. And there's occasions when it's like, as a dad, I just want to communicate, hey, you can't disrespect your mom like that. Or this is not just mom saying this, this is both of us. And I might say that. But generally, that level of trust by getting on the same page allows us to just defer, which I think helps our kids. Second strategy, obedience first. So you imagine an adult who has kids that are adults, and they say something like, oh, yeah, my daughter, she's great. She's so smart. She has so many good friends. Um, she's just you know, doing so well. She gets into arguments with her bosses a little too much. She's been fired a couple times, but she's doing great. Or you know, another parent says something like, man, my son, he doesn't take nonsense from anybody. The last time I bailed him out, you should have heard what he had said to the cop. I mean, this guy's hilarious. Those are extreme examples but they illustrate a key point about life. No matter how well we're doing in a lot of different areas, if we can't deal with authority properly, we can ruin all of it. And God is the authority. He's the authority in life. If we don't work well with him, if we don't learn how to follow him, trust him, accept his grace, and obey him, nothing's going to go well. And so over time, this has convinced me that one of the very best gifts that we can give our kids is the ability to deal well with authority. I'm not saying that every authority is always right. There's obviously extreme examples where we would deal with it differently. But generally, obeying and respecting authority, teaching our kids to do that, is a deep kindness to them. Our kids practice dealing with God, the ultimate authority, by dealing with us and by the other authorities in their lives. Teachers, adults, they're meeting in certain situations, right? Our kids are younger, so generally they're with us during those times, but you get the idea. Okay? Kids are not in charge. In fact, family life is not kid-centric. It feels like that a lot because they have so many needs, but they cannot decide what's best for the family. And they certainly shouldn't be in charge of the adults. They should learn how to be respectfully interacting with adults, and as they become adults, they grow into their own, Right? So we, we just really try to work at that. We try to consider their needs and their preferences as appropriate, but they don't run the show. We don't do our kids any favors by letting them be bossy or manipulative. Even the little kids, they don't know, right? This just, it just comes to us naturally as little kids. And so I might say, 
that's too bossy. And a lot of times it's like, oh, and they stop. Well, that's great if that's all it's going to take, right? Sometimes it takes more than that. But we just we just try to keep working on that, working on that. Questions? Um, questions are okay. You know, with, with all this in mind, the habit of listening to the parent, to the authority, and obeying is primary. Now, if one of the kids has a reason, maybe it's a good reason, to not obey right away, a lot of times we'll just say, look, the first thing is to obey. Obey first. Questions are okay, but we want them to obey first and then ask why. You and I have problems with authority too. And a lot of times what we're doing when we don't want to obey is we're asking questions in order to not obey. It's the same thing. And I need help with that. I need reminders of that. And so we're trying to help our kids with that while they're still young as well. Does that make sense? And this all, all this requires a really active approach and it takes extra effort. Like Lori was saying, you know, we're trying to be proactive. It's easy for me to want to let this kind of thing slide you know, rather than spend my time and energy training them towards habitual, quick obedience. But the flip side is sobering. If we let our kids be disrespectful or disobey authority, we're actually causing them active, long-term damage. What a downer. All right, let's pick it back up. <laughs> Strategy number three, trust is crucial. I heard this somewhere from Andy Stanley. There, it, I've heard it in other places. You guys already know this, but he, he really articulated it so well. Um, if you can't trust the people in your family, you really don't have much of a family life. And so you're, just, just imagine, right? If, you, if you've ever dealt with somebody that you're not sure you can trust and you've had to spend some time with them, and you're just not sure, I don't know if they have my best interest in mind. I'm not sure if when they talk to me, they're actually telling me the truth. You know that that's, that's just a hard way to relate. But then imagine if it's your family, right? You don't know if your kids will tell you the truth or your parents, right? So because of this, we're really strict about lying with our kids. It's a huge no-no in our house. And again, this something I just heard Andy Stanley say. It's like, this makes sense. And as we've tried it, it has really helped. We have, there's major consequences for lying. We also try to quick, correct them quickly on less obvious sneaky stuff. And in fact, if you guys ever see our kids being sneaky, we want to hear about it. We do not want to let it go. Okay? So, you know, with a babysitter, do they ask for things that we would say no to? Yeah, they do, and that's sneaky. Right? So they need reminders, and they need lots of grace. That's fine. But we also want to take the time to say, hey, you already know that that's not what we do at 8.30 at night. Right? <laughs> So you don't need to ask that. In fact, that's kind of sneaky. We're not going to let you be sneaky, right? So, so far, this approach seems to really be working. I mean, we're able to get to the root issues of conflicts more quickly, right? What happened? Now you tell me what happened. Now you tell me what happened, right? We don't have to worry about someone so just, they're just lying because they can get away with it or because they're afraid of what's going to happen next, right? And we can resolve conflict more effectively that way. And we have a lot of confidence that when it really counts, we won't have to wonder if one of our kids is lying to us. I'm not saying they'll never lie, but the more we can work on this and show them how important it is, the less likely it'll be. And it's also crucial that they can trust us, right? How can we train them and instruct them if they have nagging doubts about our honesty? It's just not going to work. It's going to undermine everything we're trying to accomplish. And so we fight really hard to push back the temptation to mislead them. You know, you get awkward questions, right? Stuff that it's really not their business yet, but they found out or they're just wondering. 
right? Or there's just stuff that we don't want to tell them yet, and that's okay. It's part of being the parent is knowing more than the kids. So a lot of times we would say something like, you know, you know what, you don't, you don't need to worry about that right now. We can talk about it when you're older. Yeah, I've even, I think I've even said something like, you know what, when you're 11, you can ask me about that. You can remind me. This is a lot of stuff, right? They, they, they can't learn everything all at once, and adult life is complex, and it's pretty scary in a lot of ways, right? The way people relate, the way adults relate, it's just not something that they can process very well yet. So with awkward questions, rather than lie or just push it off, we want to try to build trust there as well. So another thing that we can try to do to maintain and strengthen trust is just to keep our promises, even when it's inconvenient, frustrating. This is the worst, right? It's late at night, and it's really bedtime. Everybody should be in bed, and then it's like, oh, but you told me I could do this today. It's rare, and you know why it's rare? Because I try not to make very many promises. <laughs> it's biblical, right? Keep to let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't, don't go saying a bunch of stuff that you don't mean to, right? But when it does happen, generally I'm thinking the best thing to do right now, the win right now, is to show them, I will keep my promise to you. It's inconvenient and it's frustrating, but we try to do that. Okay, on the flip side, again, we try not to make promises that are going to be hard to keep. Uh, on, a, on a sort of related note, one other thing that I think that really helps to build trust is taking the time to get the facts when there's a conflict. Right? There's a heated conflict. People are riled up. It's easy for me to just want to go in and shut it down. Say, I can see you did this. You need to stop or you're going to be punished or whatever. We, we probably don't know the whole situation yet. And so as much as I can, if I can just sort of slow down and take the time to genuinely hear out each of the kids that's involved, that can really build trust too. You're not making as many mistakes with consequences and discipline, right? Everybody feels heard. So we try to work on that as well. I'm going to hand it back over to Lori. We've got more strategies. Lost my papers, Peter. Yeah, All right. So the next strategy is to use par instead of fairness for as a guide for decisions. Um, let's see. Sorry. I gotcha. I gotcha. Sorry. Why do we use par instead of fairness? Because that's real life. The world isn't fair. We want to teach our kids that life isn't fair. We're preparing our kids for the world. Now, the, the appeal to fairness is very common. How do kids first learn this anyway? No fair. You've heard it, right? I've said it as a kid. I remember saying it. Um, and really, when I was saying it as a kid, and probably a lot of other people too, it's just a complaint that I'm not getting my way. Um, you may have heard of common lies that the enemy uses as a tactic to try to cripple us. In fact, our elementary kids' own classes just finished a, <laughs> that's right, a curriculum unit on that, um, battling these lies. It's not fair is a lie that the enemy uses to sow resentment and discord in us and try to take us out of the battle. But in fact, the word fair, what's fair, can be used in different ways, right? What seems fair to one person isn't always the same as what's fair to another, and fair definitely doesn't always equal what's right. 
So instead, we use the acronym PAR, P-A-R, uh, Privilege, Accountability, and Responsibility. Unlike fairness, PAR actually works in real life. So the three aspects of PAR need to stay together as much as possible because otherwise it leads to frustration and discouragement. You can think of examples from your own life, I'm sure, um, of this happening in jobs and just opportunities that come up. Well, kids experience this too. If older kids are expected to carry a heavier burden of chores, of helping out, of being accountable for things, um, but they don't get a higher level of privilege, they feel burned. And over time, this can grow into resentment directed at parents and or their siblings, and understandably so, right? So what we want to do is try to build layers of responsibility early on for our kids and let all three PAR rise together. Uh, for example, in our home, as you get older, you get more responsibility, taking care of yourself, taking care of chores, doing your schoolwork, and then the privileges also rise. Allowances, the chance to earn commission jobs, uh, later bedtimes, and of course, accountability goes up too as the level of independence rises. Even young kids can begin to grasp a basic understanding of this principle, and once they do, they really respond better to the varying levels of perceived fairness. So that's really helpful. It can also be really useful as a tool for motivating kids and calling them forward to bigger responsibilities as they see that they'll also get matching rising privileges. And then the last strategy that we're gonna discuss is another acronym, KIDS. I drew a picture of it up there on the board. I know that a lot of you know this acronym already and I just wanted to do a brief summary of it because it's really helpful if you haven't heard of it before. It's a hugely helpful tool from Deborah Bullock. She writes all about it in her book, called Parenting, Is There an App for That? We've listed that at the end in, the, in your list of resources too. And if you haven't read it before, I would highly, highly recommend it. So this acronym is in the shape of a minivan. That's supposed to be a minivan. <laughs> Just pretend, use your imagination. And she calls this the kids mobile. And it represents the essentials for parenting and how they all fit together. So the K is in the back there. It stands for kindness. It's positioned at the back because it's like the rear door of the minivan. It opens up our children's ears to hear and their hearts to receive instruction and values and discipline. And as we want to give, get more into our kids, the way to do that is through kindness. I stands for instruction. And in the kids' mobile, it's the frame and the body of the van. It keeps all sorts of information inside of our kids. So kids are born with no information, right? They have to learn so, so, so much. Um, they have to be explicitly taught it. We have to say the things out loud. We can't just expect them to pick things up as they go. So it's a real kindness for them. For, it's a real kindness that we do for them to teach them all of those things. One of the biggest things we have to teach them is a biblical perspective of how the world works, and which is what we talked about earlier. Another kind of long-term consideration when it comes to, to instruction, and this isn't from the Kidsmobile, but this comes from a guy, Greg Harris, who's a prominent figure in the Christian homeschool community about a couple decades ago. He spoke about how easily a Christian heritage is lost. So the first generation loves God and does right, so they teach the next generation to do right, but maybe they neglect to explain why they do it. So then the second generation may teach their children to do right, but they can't explain why. Then the third generation has no idea why their parents did things, 
so they seek their own path and all of that the heritage is lost so that's really sobering it's and that's just a quick secondhand summary uh, from the book Raising Real Men, which is also listed in your resources. But I find it to really affirm the importance of carefully and thoughtfully teaching our children. Okay, back to the kids' mobile. The D stands for discipline, and it's the safety restraint system. It's the airbags and seatbelts of the car, the van. The purpose of discipline is to protect our children from greater damage when they crash outside of the boundaries that God has set. And it'll keep them from being crippled later on in life. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Um, And then just a quick note about discipline. Some helpful insight that we've gotten from Dr. Nathan Lewis. A lot of you know know him. He's from the Ontario Ranch campus of Church in the Valley. Consequences have to hurt or we're teaching our kids to play games. So, in our family, we repeat, we avoid repeated warnings. Um, Sometimes one warning is helpful and it allows the kids to know exactly what consequence will happen if they don't already know it. We also avoid bluffs about consequences. That's really important too. So we have to be ready to enforce whatever consequence we've laid out, even if it punishes us too. So more than once on a play date, I've had to say to a child, if you don't listen right now, we're going to have to leave. And that's sad because I don't want to leave, but I have to be ready to follow through if it comes down to it. And then thirdly, we avoid countdowns because they teach kids that delayed obedience is acceptable. Um, S stands for spiritual power. And in the kids' mobile, it's the engine where all the power and strength come from to move the vehicle forward. Parenting can be hard and downright exhausting. So we need the power of God to give us the energy, the attitudes, the creativity, the wisdom, everything that we need to succeed. And then finally, those little E's are the wheels, and they stand for exampling and explaining, sharing the hows and whys of life to our children. And that's where the rubber hits the road, and we can gain traction in training them. All right, Ben's going to share tactics and... S stands for spiritual power. All right, well, we're getting ready to finish up. And so if you would buckle your seatbelts, we're going to blaze through some tactics. And we love talking about this stuff, um, so we could talk more offline, so to speak. But there's some, there's some things that, and they're just little, little tricks, little things that have been and helpful for us. We're going to share some of those. Um, Here they are in no particular order. Number one, set expectations. When we know what to expect, we have an easier time choosing a good attitude. And so that makes it easier to cooperate as adults, obey as kids. So we try to do that over and over and over again. You know, for example, when we get home, we're going to get ready for bed. We're going to get ready for bed immediately, right? Uh, At the party, be ready to be friendly and polite, even if you're feeling shy. You need to be friendly and polite when we get there. Here's a bigger one. When the new baby is born, it's going to be harder to give everyone attention. It's not going to feel good sometimes, but let's talk about it when it feels hard. Right? And you just kind of, we just try to work that in as a a constant thing. Set expectations, manage expectations, explain ahead of time what's expected. Second tactic, simple is powerful. So with young kids, you know, our kids are all really still young. We try to teach principles, but at the level that they can understand it. So when our oldest was really young and we're trying to teach him 
how do you choose to have a good attitude? Because actually you can choose. It's hard, but you can choose it. And so we, we just said, choose happy, which, you know, has its limits. But for a two-year-old, that's good. It's like, you can choose happy. You're not getting what you want, but you can choose a good attitude. Choose happy. And then, as we've already said, the first thing is to obey. Just little simple phrases that help communicate the principles that we're trying to teach. And they can have simple categories. They can really help also. For example, recently a friend was telling Lori that at their home, because their kids bicker sometimes too, they talk about, are you being an enemy or an ally? And so we steal, we steal whatever ideas we can find. So we're trying that at our house now too. And it's really helpful. And you can call that out too. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Yesterday, one of our kids worked really hard to build something, a project, and then another kid said, oh, can I see it? And without trying to, swung it around and immediately broke it. And the first kid, the creator in this scenario, just handled it so well. It's like, oh, that's okay, we can fix it. And it was like, whoa, what just happened, you know? <laughs> and so the win was to the one who broke it, wow. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it. She was really being an ally, wasn't she? <laughs> Okay, so enemy or ally, that's like a category, and they can, you, know, you can help, help them think towards the kind of right choices. Another one, gentle and careful. You know, there's a new baby, and you got a two-year-old or whatever. Hey, you need to be gentle and careful with the baby. Those two things. And you do that, that's not gentle. When you do that, that's not careful. So here's what gentle looks like, here's what careful looks like, and then we just repeat that over and over again. Another one from a while back came across a verse, 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. I just thought that was a funny verse. And because our kids were bickering a lot, I said, let me read you this. And so we read it. Of course, they hear the word stupid. It's like, what? Right? It's kind of, a, kind of a harsh word you know, in their world still, thank goodness. So then we, we just asked them, hey, is that a smart argument? What you guys are doing right now, is that a wise argument? No. Maybe we shouldn't do that yet. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Now, there's, there's a time for arguing, for standing up for what's right, but it's not usually what's going on when they're bickering, right? So simple categories like that. Also, one that is, can be really fun, simple catchphrases or songs. You can use them to just show affection, part of the overall kindness and the atmosphere of love, or you can use them to communicate a biblical truth. Uh, one that we picked up, I think, again, from the Bullocks is strength is for service. Our boys want to be feel accomplished and strong. It's generally how it goes. So we teach them that you, you can serve with your strength. So strength is for service and God makes me strong. Or God makes me strong and strength is for service. And let them fill in the blank, right? And they're carrying something in, carrying groceries in or whatever. It's really helpful. Uh, something like, do you know how much I love you? Just spontaneously. And they might say, yes. And they say, well, I'm going to tell you again, or whatever. They might say, no. I was like, ah, oh, you know, and you just kind of take it from there. Another one from a long time ago that we stole, there's this guy, he said, with his kids, he would go up to them every once in a while without warning, and he would say, they, maybe his eight-year-old daughter, have I ever told you that you are the sweetest, kindest, prettiest, smartest, most wonderful, ex exciting, inspiring eight-year-old girl I know? And she would say, no, you know, and he'd say, well, I got to have to tell you more often or something like that. Or she might say yes. And he might say, well, don't forget. And he would just repeat this even as adults. And so it got to the point where it's like, 
he'd say, hey, if I ever, and they'd be like, dad, you know. And <laughs> anyway, it like really touched my heart, and it works. It's amazing. We try to do that just every once in a while. It really affirms our kids and builds the atmosphere of love where the truth can really help them. So there's things like that. There's other ones like to make up little songs. You know, if you like doing that, then try that too. Um, the next tactic, set and model small habits. So, hey, we're going to do this together. I need to practice this too. Go into the kitchen at dinner time and ask Lori who, if she's making dinner. What can I do to help? They say me do it. I tell them to do it. They do it. They see each other doing it. We can all model it for each other. It really helps. We do this thing, um, again, stolen from elsewhere, um, where I just had the boys, and we don't do this every night, but have the boys like stand behind their chair at the dinner table until mom comes in and we're ready. We don't sit down before her. We stand there and then we just say, thank you for this food. And then we sit down. So we don't do it every night. But again, it's just a little thing. It's like teaching them to respect their mom, to express gratitude for all the work she's done, to get the meal ready, things like that. If Ellie wants to join in, that's great. She could do it too. Um, and then another you know, habit, this is not a small one, but it plays out in small ways, is just working together to take care of our home. Trying to communicate, hey, we're all doing this for all of us, right? You pick up something that's not yours, that's okay. That's, that's pretty normal, right? Okay, real quick. Number four, scripture, memory, and review. This is like, this is not a tactic. This is not a strategy. This is life-giving. This is a chance to give your children tools for life, weapons to defend themselves, and gifts that they can give to others for their whole life. It's in tactics, but it's really so much, much more than that. If there's one thing that you could do to really build in your kids, if, if you're not already doing that, that's where I would start. Choose a verse that speaks to where they are in life. Let them memorize it. They memorize it so fast. You know, you can do rewards when they get to a certain number or whatever, and then have them review it as a, just a normal part of life. It's incredibly helpful. Number five, meals together. You guys get that, right? And spend time slowing down. It's going to be harder as the kids get older. We'll try to keep doing that. And then reading together is the next one. Uh, you can let everybody do something like Legos or, you know, if, if they want to do like a project with their hands or something, but then you'd expect them to listen at the same time, to stay quiet and listen. So it kind of keeps them occupied and they listen. And then you can, you can do all kinds of things depending on what you're reading. You can debrief about it as you go, right? You can pause it and talk what do you think is going to happen next? Or what do you think Jesus would say about what that person just said? Or what would, make, what would make Jesus sad about what just happened? There's all kinds of questions you can ask. And you're also, again, building that atmosphere of love that allows for the truth to really guide and train them. And then finally, debriefing media. It's a huge one because the media is not your friend. The media is not going to do anything, probably not a single good thing for your kid. And I work in the entertainment industry. Um, and it's just, it's just, you know, I, I, it's a normal part of our life to, to watch some TV, but we really want to debrief it along the way because if you follow your heart, you are going to destroy yourself, right? And there's so, so many other examples, right? So debriefing media is another thing we try to do as well. We hope this has been helpful. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, we, again, want to thank all the many friends and mentors who've helped us along the way so far. We look forward to what God will do in the lives of all of our kids. 
as we trust and obey Him, as they learn to trust and obey Him. And here's the thing, as we choose to follow Him and as we choose to aggressively learn how to be the kind of parents that He wants us to be and then to sacrifice for our kids to do that, we will be making investments that will pay off for generations to come. It's going to really ripple out and be a blessing to our kids and our grandkids and beyond. So that's such a great privilege. And again, thanks for being here. We are dismissed.